take a moment just to breathe in and breathe out. And receive the promise that we've just sung. We're going to dive right in this morning into our passage from 1 Timothy chapter 6 and starting in verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. And probably I could just stop right there. I'm going to read that again and then go on. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, and remember Paul's writing this letter to Timothy here. You, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and the only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Lord, be our teacher this morning. Move us to be the kind of people, the kind of community that longs for the life that is truly life. Increase our dissatisfaction with anything that is less than that. And grow in us a hunger for you. A hunger that in the upside down world of your kingdom actually ultimately leads to contentment, to to peace. Grow us up this morning, Lord. Amen. This last Thursday, uh, there was an article in the Seattle Times. Jeremy, you can put it up on here if you uh, have it there. Um, that talked about the new median household income in our city. 
And uh, it reports that according to the U.S. Census Bureau that the median household income jumped up about $7,000 this last year to a new high of $93,500. So that median means, and I, this is, I was so glad that they explained this in the article because I always forget what's median mean, all this. Median just means half of the households in Seattle uh, bring in more than that and half bring in less than that. It's the midpoint, $93,500 a year. Uh, There were some interesting things that the article highlighted, uh, right? Notably, uh, that it's what's probably true is not that those of us who were already here got $7,000 worth of raise, <laughs> but that uh, a lot of new jobs were created, and most of the jobs being created in this area are well-paying tech jobs. That's most likely the, the primary reason for this growth. Uh, there was also some pretty remarkable statistics about the dichotomy between households that were headed up by someone who is white versus uh, households that are headed up by someone who is black. Uh, and it's uh, over, on average, uh, it's over twice as much uh, household income for, that are headed by someone who's white versus uh, someone who's, who's black. Uh, this is a, in a part of their series called FYI Guy. I don't know if you read these. Um, and I really appreciate the, these, these articles. They, they take some sort of data point, um, in this case from the U.S. Census Bureau about income, and then try to help someone that's not a statistician like myself understand it. Uh, but they do so really, I, I found, um, not letting you draw your own judgments, right? They're not trying to tell you how to interpret the data. They're, they're simply presenting in a way, giving you a context to help understand it. Um, uh, but, but for the most part, whenever they have these, these articles about these different data points, population, income, various things like that, uh, they allow you to kind of draw your own conclusions from that. What I am interested in is when I said that the new median household income in the city is $93,500, what happened in your heart when I said that? What was the e- emotion, what was the response that, um, that welled up in you? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I want you to pay attention to that. Take, maybe, maybe take some notes if you need to. What, what, was, what was going on inside you when that statistic, which is just kind of a whole cold, hard fact, right, uh, when, that was, when that was said? Um, because, yeah, I mean, I think that there's, there's a lot of different ways that we could respond to this, right? There's, there could be a longing or a, or a lust after that. Like, if I had that, then, like, then things would be set, right? I'd be fine if I could just be at that median point. Maybe, maybe there's a, an anger Right? I work just as hard as those people. I don't make that. Maybe there's a relief, right? Like, okay, I'm still north of the median. I'm still there, right? And that, that maybe there's a comfort that you feel in that. But I, um, I want you to pay attention to what came up in you when you heard that statistic. Because I think that that's going to be part of what guides us your individual response is part of what's going to guide us through this passage this morning. So we're in uh, 1 Timothy. Uh, We've kind of jumped around a little bit here, but we're towards the end of the book. Uh, Just a quick recap. Paul is writing this letter to this young pastor that he sent to shepherd and lead this church that he helped to plant in Ephesus. Now, this church is, is young, and, but there's already some things that we know about it. They have some 
teachers there who are teaching uh, false teachings, who are, who are there for the money. They're, they're in it for, for the own personal gain that they can get. And they tend to be uh, imposing rules on this congregation and moving people away from the center of things, which is this relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, we know some other things about this church, that there is a, a pretty decent wealth gap within this church. There are rich people, there are poor people, part of this church. And that gap is threatening the unity of the church. So Paul, in the passage that we just read, he has some very particular words for Timothy as the leader of this church, as the pastor of this church. Right? Don't, not only do you need to rebuke the teaching of these false teachers, but you need to lead in a way where you are not in this for the money. You need to lead in a way that is full of integrity, where you are pursuing God, first and foremost. But also uh, some instruction for those in his church, to those who are wealthy. Right? What, how should they view their wealth? How should they use their wealth? And I think really there's kind of two issues that Paul addresses here uh, as, as he's looking at money, as he's encouraging Timothy on how to not only lead and, and how to be himself, but then how to teach his congregation. Um, and one issue is that it, there's, it's a matter of the heart, right? This is one of the ways in which we have to think about money is that it's a matter of the heart. Uh, and then the other way is that it's a matter of family. The, the heart condition aspect of uh, how we view money, I think is uh, probably not a surprise to hear, right? That, that our attitude, our perspective on money um, ultimately comes down to the condition of our heart. Do we, do we orient our lives around money? Does it become the center of everything? Does it become the way that we view the world? The way that we view relationships, those that can contribute to our ultimate wealth and those that would take away from it that we don't want to have anything to do with. Uh, does it become the primary factor in decisions that we make? Is money the main decision-making factor when we are trying to discern between options, a way forward, a pathway for life? Essentially, uh, right, we're talking about idolatry. We're talking about money becoming the thing that we worship, the thing that we pursue. Uh, we read, um, <laughs> we had, there, the Bible talks a lot about money, <laughs> right? So there, we're knowing that this is going to be the topic this morning. It's like, well, how, which passage do we choose from for the other readings? And I think Jesus' teaching on serving God in money uh, is, is one of the better known and, and one of the more powerful ones, partly because I think it, it uses language, the language of worship, service, pursuit, love. This is the language of worship. And I think at the core, this is how we, uh, we need to be mindful of our relationship with money. Does it become this thing that is the center of our lives, that we orient everything else in our lives around? Um, right? So Jesus says, you cannot serve both God and money. You'll hate one and love the other. And he kind of leaves it up to you, which is which, right? Uh, Bob Dylan, uh, this other theologian, says, uh, you're going to have to serve somebody, right? This is, we, we don't not worship. <laughs> we are always worshiping. We are always in service to something. And the question is, what is it? Is it God? Is it money? Is it power? Is it sex? Is it, you fill in the blank there, right? 
So to counter this, uh, Paul uses another series of words uh, that are very action-oriented words, right? Pursue, fight, take hold. There's something to be done here for Timothy and for his congregation that is, a, is, is active engagement with this. Pursuing God, taking hold of this life that is truly life, pursuing godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. These are the things that are worth pursuit. And as you pursue these things, uh, this is where contentment comes in. I don't know uh, if you've ever answered the question, how are you doing with content? But I'm with you. (laughs) That's not usually the word that comes to mind for me. But oh, how great would it be if it was, right? How are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm content. Detachment from earthly possessions, not, not hatred towards earthly possessions, but detachment from, uh, frees the heart to pursue and chase after the one thing that matters, and that's God. So the condition of our heart is something that, that Paul is concerned with here, both for Timothy himself and for his church. Uh, but then, beyond that, Uh, there are some practical outworkings of the way that we utilize the money and the wealth that we have, right? And this is where this language of family becomes the way that we view each other and the way that we think about uh, the the resources that we have, the money that we have, right? And so for a a family, uh, it's just, it's not consistent to think of ourselves as a family and to have people with plenty of wealth who are holding it on for themselves when there are people without who have genuine need. That's just sort of an, uh, that doesn't make any sense if that's really truly what the church is meant to be. Um, we have not instituted a policy where we check your paychecks. Uh, that's not something we're going to do, right? That's, that, that would be a rules-based approach to this, which is not what God is after. The goal here is a, a generous spirit and a perspective towards uh, the, the wealth and the resources we have that understands them as a gift from God, first and foremost. Moreover, you know, above and beyond anything that we've done or deserved or worked for, first and foremost, that what we have, we've received as a gift from God. And that that gift is meant to be, to be shared, to be put to use, right? It's a tool. I, I was thinking back, um, again, you know, you... you, you you preach uh, through the Bible enough and you're going to come across passages on money. And I remember one other time, um, I think preaching on Zacchaeus, where I brought up a shovel. I just had a shovel up here for the whole sermon. Uh, and the point was that using our money as a tool is, is a proper orientation to, to our resources. Right? It's a tool that can be employed to care for each other. But how quickly it can move from being a tool um, to being a stumbling block on the road to faith, right? It, it's not, it, I mean, it just seems that it, 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 it doesn't stay neutral for very long. It can, be, it can either be a tool that is, that is put to use for God's purposes, or it becomes something that, I mean, and Paul's language is strong here, right? That brings ruin and destruction, this pursuit not necessarily money itself, but this pursuit of money that brings ruin and destruction. I, uh, um, 
being being pastor of the church, I'm occasionally put in this really wonderful position of being the go-between between someone that wants to give a gift anonymously to someone else in the church. Uh, and that is one of the great joys uh, that I get uh, in this particular role. And I wanted to highlight, I don't know that we have done a great job of advertising this, but when we passed our budget in July, uh, we have a little line item in there called the Benevolence Fund. Uh, and we put, I mean, when a church makes a budget, it's all sort of imaginary money, right? Because nothing <laughs> actually gets done unless money comes in to fill those budget line items. But we set aside, we were like, you know, we think that this next year, we'd like to up that amount to $3,000. That was the budgeted amount for our Benevolence Fund, which was an increase from what it was the year before, and at the same time, could be so much more, right? Uh, and I'll simply just say that uh, there, there is a way where that amount could increase, and we'll uh, leave that up to us <laughs> to see that happen. But one, if you have need, know that there is money that's set aside to help. I, I, we, we put this in the budget, and I don't know that we talked about it very much, so forgive us for that, but we want to talk about it. There is resources there for need. Um, and if you have uh, resources, uh, you don't have to give them through the church. We, we can help be a distributor of those resources, um, but you don't have to give them through there. You can be on the lookout for the needs that you see in our community, and you can do that yourself. So there, I just wanted to advertise one line item in our budget. Um, this passage is full of really good one-liners. It's like Paul just sat down. He was, he was on it when he was writing this, right? Godliness with contentment is great gain. If we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it. If we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the life that is truly life. But I uh, found myself being drawn, as I reflected on this passage, to the opening one-liner and the ending one-liner. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And take hold of the life that is truly life. I, uh, I was in a funk yesterday. I was just kind of, I was low. I don't know. I couldn't really pinpoint why. Um, I think I'd been around people all day, and maybe my introverted tank needed a little bit of filling up. But uh, Summer, my dear wife, who loves me and knows me, usually better than I know myself, said, Mark, go take a walk. (laughs) She said it more lovingly than that. Um, But uh, she was right. That's what I needed. And I I went for a walk. Um, And... It was really good. It was beautiful outside. The wind, the breeze was blowing. It was like a really lovely fall evening. Um, and there's something about moving your body. And I just, it, things started to feel better. But those of you that have been to our house uh, know that we have a lovely house. I'm very grateful. I have no complaints about my house. Except that uh, as, I, <laughs> as, I go, as I go on my walk, I pass by houses that are even more incredible than ours. Houses with views of the Puget Sound. And I found myself, uh, found something rising in me that pretty quickly I was able to label as discontentment. Right? Discontentment. That's what was happening as I went on this walk to feel better. (laughs) And the seed of discontentment is comparison. And that's what was happening to me, right? 
how come my house doesn't have a view unobstructed of the Puget Sound? Um, I think that that's actually what that, uh, the power of that Seattle Times article, uh, that's what it does in us immediately, right? We hear that figure and immediately we start comparing. Where do we fall on that perspective, or the perspective, that, per, that uh, spectrum? And, uh, and I think the natural result of that kind of comparison is discontentment. But God invites us today and every day to take hold of this life that is truly life, to pursue godliness, to pursue this relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Not simply to accept it, but to pursue it. And to find there a contentment. Because uh, the rising median household income in the city has absolutely this much to do with the life that is truly life. Nothing. Because we brought nothing into this world, right? We're taking nothing out when we go. And that is grace. (laughs) I think sometimes we hear that line and it makes us think of death and it makes us, uh, you know, this, maybe there's a little bit of that that uh, that bums us out. But it's intended to be a great encouragement. One, because death is not the end of this life. And two, everything that we have, we have received freely. It's grace. It's all grace. Grace. And the core of this life that is truly life, the core of that is this relationship with Jesus Christ that is simply a free gift that you cannot earn or buy or do anything to add to. It's just a gift that's been given. I I found myself at the end of that walk sitting on a manhole cover on the side of the road looking out at This view here. And I just sat there for 10, 15 minutes, and I found things shifting in me. I found that discontentment slowly, slowly, I mean, I'm pretty good at clinging on to that discontentment, but slowly uh, falling away. Uh, Because I allowed myself the gift of stillness. Uh, the gift of considering the beauty of the world that God has made, considering the abundance that God has filled this world with. And as I did that, I, I found something else start to rise in me that wasn't discontentment, but it was gratitude. It was thankfulness for my life, for the very breath in my lungs for the relationships that I have. And ultimately, gratitude to God who has given me breath, who desires and pursues a relationship with me through Christ. And who one day, as Summer alluded to, one day will make all things new. And in that moment, I think I experienced just just like a taste of contentment. And it's so good. And I want more of it. I want to pursue that. I want my life to be marked more and more by contentment. Godliness with contentment. Because that's where great gain is found. So you can 
leave that up for a second. I just want to give us um, a couple of minutes of stillness. Uh, we're rarely still in this life. And maybe, maybe take that, uh, that emotion, that feeling that rose up in you as I read from that article, um, and just, without judging it, just sort of hold it up to the Lord and say, Lord, what, what, what is this about? Why is this the emotion that rose up when that number, that arbitrary number, when that came up? And then ask him, just ask him for the gift of contentment. Lord, hear our prayers.